Welcome to Drive the Bid, the podcast brought to you by AutoHunter.com. I am your host, Brad, along with my other hosts here, Jeff. How's it going, guys? And Derek. Hello, all. As a reminder, we are brought to you this week and every week by AutoHunter.com. Jeff, can you give us a brief introduction Real quick, maybe 30 seconds or less, what is AutoHunter? Yeah, absolutely. So AutoHunter.com is online auctions. So those are seven-day online auctions, meaning if it starts on a Monday, it's ending the Monday after that. So typically a lot of the auctions in between about 11 and 1. One of the great parts is we offer professional photography now with every listing. So if you go ahead and get your car submitted, we can go ahead and get you scheduled for pro photos if we have that in your area. And of course, what that is is there's no seller's commissions, just a listing fee. And then on the buyer side, we have plenty of of awesome cars currently on the site that you can go ahead and take a look at for a varying uh, interest and it's super risk-free and easy um, as far as just checking out the cars and we have lots of available reps um, available at any time Monday through Friday 8 to 5 to answer any questions you might have on the auction process yeah currently we have everything from a project car first generation RX-7 to a brand spanking new Corvette C8R so there's something for everybody literally on Auto Hunter right now. Mm-hmm. So, thank you for that. What is our subject today going to be, guys? What's hot in the market right now? What's one of the biggest growing segments of the market? And there is really no vehicles in the segment that haven't been caught by the uh, kind of level of excitement. It's kind of it's kind of brand agnostic. There's no there's no rules as to why these cars have all all of a sudden shot up, but they all are, regardless of maker and. It's interesting, and we're going to talk about that. SUVs. Specifically, let's say collector SUVs, because I think there's lots that are... I don't think anybody's here to listen to us talk about brand new RAV4s. But <laughs> but I don't think RAV4s will ever be. I could be wrong. I'll be, so In 40 years, somebody will come back. So I will tell you right now that if somebody submitted a first-generation RAV4, Uh-oh. two-door, manual transmission, soft top, I would 100% run that through the, through the site. I take it back. I stand correct. I mean, that is interesting. At this point, the first RAV4 was what, 1995? Something like that. that, So yeah, yeah, 95 to 97, I think. I'll be safe and give us that two-year range. But at this point in time, that's 25 years old. So it's technically an antique. They didn't make many two-door soft top manual transmission four-wheel drive RAV4s. And I would 100% love to see one come across. We should know. get a poll for that. I would like to see how many people would be interested in that. Well, I actually had this conversation recently with the only other person who was is determines whether the car comes or goes in the site, <laughs> and he has 100% agreed that we would take that car. So probably not a four-door automatic, just the two-door soft-top manual. That's what makes it interesting. That's what makes it a collectible vehicle. It's that those options existing together for a short period of time, and nobody bought it. So now one is interesting. It's right up there with the Suzuki X90, which was a weird little 90s SUV T-top thing. But but you're not very likely to see a Suzuki in traffic as you are a RAV4. You're as, I bet you're more likely to see an X90 in traffic than you are a two-door soft-top RAV4. I suppose it probably depends on which part of the world you're into. The Southwest. Right. <laughs> it's the only place you're going to find any of them. Anyway... Before we get too wrapped up in 1990s unibody, <laughs> tiny little weird SUVs, let's go back to the beginning. Trivia question to start the podcast. Do either of you know what the longest running nameplate in America is? Yes. You do? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think Jeff? So. E, like never stopped production type of? Continuous since the first time it came out. I would think so, yeah. Okay. Guess. What's your guess? My um, guess is Mustang. Suburban. Suburban is correct. What? Yes. So the first Suburban came out in 1935 and has been made continuously to this day. There's never been a year without a Suburban. In fact, there was a couple of years where Suburban also was available as a Chevy and a GMC. So the GMC Suburban is not, but the Chevrolet Suburban is the longest running continuous nameplate in American car history. So that tells you how far back America's obsession with people hauling machines goes. (laughs) So the Suburban then wouldn't have been called an SUV because the term hadn't been coined yet. But essentially, it's still then what it is today. It's, I would argue it's 
evolved. I think some of the interests and new hobbies have also opened up the SUV market, which is why the taller cars. 100%. It has evolved. But the first Suburban was a Chevrolet truck chassis with a long enclosed body on it with windows and passenger seats, just like the new one is a essentially a Silverado with a sheet metal back on it and seats and windows. So the Suburban has been around since 1935 in the same basic form that it is today and has never not been around. And they've been around in four-wheel drive form for a long time too. Not 1935, but I didn't look into the time when the first 4x4 one came out, but pretty early on. So there's some 4x4 conversion companies anyway. Sure. There was a a two-door model too, right? For a while. For a while. um, I think the first Suburbans would have been two doors, I think. I now I'm going to get corrected, unfortunately, but there's been two and four door and three door actually along the along the way with Suburbans, not counting the rear doors, counting the side doors. Yeah. For a time in the 60s and 50s, I think that they had models that only had one side door. So interesting. It's but again, mm. vintage SUVs are a hot market right now. The Suburban, they are. the Suburban is the oldest American nameplate, which tells you Americans loved SUVs even before there was a name for it. So stands to reason that there would be a hot market for it right now. So what are some common expensive now and didn't used to be SUVs? What, what do you think of when you think vintage SUV? Bronco. Oh, my favorite is Blazer. Okay. Bronco, Blazer. Bronco. Wagoneer. Yeah. Wagoneer. Bronco predates the Blazer, but still cool. Right. But the Blazer's so cool. The Blazers are cool. Giant wheels that they could come on, but. The first generation Blazers were one of the best looking Chevy trucks of all time anyway. Yes. That body style pickup truck that the Blazers Blazer is based on is amazing. Right. And the first Blazers had that full removable soft uh, hard top and soft top. So you'd have full open air the mm-hmm. entire truck, which is pretty sweet. Probably more people in the back. Broncos yeah. had those too, though. So it's not. And also, this is why I talked early, initially about the brand agnostic love for SUVs. There aren't many people that know the international name as an auto- automaker. It's it's but people increasing. still know Scouts, <laughs> even though they don't know international. Right. They know Scout. So international Scouts also have not been, you know, spared by this value bump in vintage SUVs. And international Scouts didn't used to be expensive, and now you'd be hard pressed to find one worth restoring for less than ten grand. So I would blame the Scout. Um, value increase or international trucks as a whole on what I would call the C10 effect. Um, so with C10s, right, Brad, you kind of mentioned how specifically sort of around like the 72, late 60s, C10s were 68 very 72 popular. body style, yeah. yeah. And started to go up in value, right? 60. So with that, we started to see the other later boxy styles all kind of up to the 90s. Um, the square all body. Kind of increased up in value, right? Yep. And so what happened is, is when the interesting ones got too expensive for the average consumer, then they went to the, what's the next year? What's the next year? And it keeps going up, so the prices kind of vary out. So as we saw, well, you could argue the main focus might be on Broncos and Blazers. Scouts are also in that same sort of range, looks like that whole thing, but are just not as desirable as maybe the mainstream vehicles, and so their value has also gone up. I want to correct myself. 67 to 72 is that generation truck. Um, I was going to say, I knew 72. But. Yeah, the C the C and K trucks, which are C for two-wheel drive and K for four-wheel drive. Same goes with the Blazers and the GMC version, the Jimmy. Um, I, I agree with you. Unfortunately, I think it's a little more than just the less desirable ones are more desirable because the more desirable ones are too expensive. I think it's also what the truck does. I think SUVs have become more and more popular with, I, I hate to say it, but the the Instagram crowd of, I need to go out and take a picture of myself doing something cool in my SUV to post to the world how cool I am. Yeah, a lot of fashion brands do that kind of stuff. I mean, there's in so many ads and you know social media posts, vintage SUVs are in that setting a, a glorified fashion accessory. Yeah, they're selling the lifestyle oh, at, that, at that point yeah. for sure. It becomes a lifestyle brand and people want that image and they don't necessarily care whether it's a Chevy, a GMC, a Ford. They just want that old boxy truck sitting on the side of the lake with the whole family and the golden retriever sitting next to it wearing their LLB clothes or whatever brand we're talking about here. Absolutely. Well, I was going to say, depending on the brand, you might argue it's Eddie Bauer. Uh, but only, only Ford Broncos. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, 
well, they had an expedition Bronco, right? Expedition. Did, okay, only Ford products. Ford products. That way. Now we're not talking about it until the late eighties, early nineties. There should be a Ford so. GT Eddie Bauer. I'm surprised they haven't jumped on that. I Anyways. can picture it green with tan interior. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. <laughs> Anywho, um, one of the things I wanted to point out now that you guys have sort of mentioned it into the lifestyle thing, let's talk about the high end sales of these cars. So obviously, values fluctuate. A lot now with these. You can 100%. have them in the tens of thousands, or in some case, I think you can still pick up a Scout for like the high single thousands, right? Like a 9,000 for like a rough one that needs you, work. You could, I, I just said, you'd be hard pressed to find a Scout for less than 10 grand that you'd want to even buy. There, it depends on the Scout. If you want an early Scout, there are some that are probably in that range. Right. Those 70s, more boxy, like more styled ones. Mm, it's getting hard. They're they're getting up there. Right. They used to be like fifteen hundred dollars, and now they're not. So there's our bottom. That's the bottom of the vintage SUV market. I would say the bottom of the vintage SUV market is still a CJ five, CJ seven. Okay. You can buy one of those still fairly inexpensively if you're looking for a project. I'm not talking about nice restored vehicles. If you're talking about a project. Okay. Anyways, I'm just trying to find a minimum for sure. my argument here. If you have five thousand bucks and you want to buy a vintage SUV, you could probably buy a running but project '60s '70s Jeep. But you should really save your money and buy a Scout. I would say yes. <laughs> Anyways, and then the top of the market is as much as six hundred thousand. Um, for some vehicles, there's sure. some bespoke manufacturers that build custom Broncos. Icon, um, yeah. Yep. Um, I think they actually have a couple vehicles between four hundred and six hundred thousand dollars sure. for sale at any moment, um, and then of course there's even like a sort of average, right? Like there's a certain threshold of like you can find a regular, you know, lots of Broncos at two hundred thousand that all kind of have similar sure. builds. They all look right? the same. It's a cookie, cookie so cutter build style, you can, right? So you can almost spend as much as you want. But what I want to point out is, is all those modern vehicles, um, modern sales are essentially built like modern vehicles, right? Usually. All these vehicles now have modern amenities, including modern powered seats, LED lights, modern engine. navigation, yep, uh, brand new fuel-injected engines in them. So basically, the top end of this market is people that want their Instagrammable vehicles, want their luxury, they want modern luxury in old style. Sure. So what is old is new again with all these high-end builds. Yeah, it's a style really thing. willing to pay no the question. Premium. So you're not going to break $100,000 in most of these trucks, Blazers notwithstanding, unless you have modern componentry. Right. Also, a lot of these trucks, the the recipe for a top dollar Blazer Bronco is you need to have a brand new chassis. You don't even start with the old chassis anymore. You go, to, I think it's Roadster Shop actually does a full chassis now for a, like a 68 Blazer. Anything interesting now. Yeah, you buy a full chassis from them and all new components and all new suspension and all new axles and new engine and new everything. And the only thing that's a 68 anymore is whatever's left of the original sheet metal and the VIN number. Yeah. So there's not much there's not much left of a 68 anymore. And I think we can kind of discount those sales as not what we're talking about as a general rule because I don't think it matters whether it's an SUV or a pickup truck or a... 59 Corvette built the same way with a custom chassis. Right. Those are all going to be $200,000 plus cars because that's the style of the build. And just like any hobby, you have your regular everyday hobbyist that does his thing. And then you have your guy who has all the money in the world and chooses to do the same hobby as you and spend all their money on it. I, so I would disagree with that though, because like you just mentioned, you can put a bunch of money into any vehicle you want, whether it's, you know, comes from, just a passion thing for you, a personal interest or whatever, but you can't get that money back. Now, with these higher-end builds, obviously companies like Icon are doing it as a business. Sure. And so they're making money from building up these vehicles. But Icon's also doing that with 50s cars as well. They're not just doing trucks. Right. But so my, I, my point I, is, is I think those count because I think what that does is that fuels part of the market, right? So obviously we can't all buy hyper cars. But there's all sorts of sports cars and things that are more affordable range. If you're spending $200,000 to have your old SUV built into a modern SUV, it's not because that's the one car you're buying. It's not. That's You, you probably also have hypercars and supercars and sports cars and muscle cars and everything else. It's I, The only reason I say that that doesn't really count towards what we're talking about as the market is anytime you take a vehicle that's popular. Sure, yeah. if I spent $600,000 on a Yugo, 
I'm never going to get $600,000 back out of it. Right. But if I spend $600,000 on a vehicle that's a popular chassis and it's done well, chances are pretty good it's still going to be a higher-end car forever. So that's the Singer Porsche model. Right. Singer Porsche model or the Icon 4x4 model or any of these companies is what that is. I think it's a totally different thing we're talking about than the general market. I think a, a, a secondary effect, too, is you have companies like Icon buying up Broncos. You have companies like uh, Wagon Master buying up vintage Cherokees or um, uh, Wagon- Wagoneers. Wagoneers. And so they're reducing the supply, mm-hmm. um, and obviously they refinish them to a higher grade and sell them for a premium, but they're also removing them from the secondary market, which makes them a little more scarce and drives up secondary values as well. Well, the, the, the rising tide raises all ships thing is kind of in effect in every way. Like yeah. if all of a sudden, I'll go back to my Yugo explanation, if all of a sudden it became a trend to build $600,000 hot rod Yugos, then your basic $3,000 Yugos would become $10,000 Yugos. So right. it's the same with this, that these high-end builds we're talking about are rising the market for everything, possibly a little bit because of supply and demand and because of the image. And I don't want to spend two hundred and fifty grand on a 68 Blazer, but I would be willing to maybe spend 50 or 60. I Not personally, I can't do that, but if I had the money, maybe I would. And part of that reason is because I saw that $250,000 build and I was like, I could do that for less, but maybe not be as brand new, but have that same basic look. And I think that's where the corollary between the values of these super high builds and the more average consumer market comes into play. But I think that we touched on it earlier about what the reasoning behind this sudden change in this market is, is the image of I'm outdoorsy, I'm campy, I have this old truck because it's cooler looking than your brand new Hyundai, whatever the Hyundai is, Telluride, that's Kia. Yeah, it's a Kia. Yeah. But, you know, in a, along those lines, I mean, I, I think there's this uh, image of, you know, well, even if I'm not rugged, if I'm in one of these vehicles, I feel more rugged. Sure. You know, it's it's uh, all the, the lifestyle effect. That's why people buy SUVs anyway, because they want to be commanding of the road. I think higher seating position, et cetera. Yeah. Just like in anything, we always goes back to the Simpsons, the Canyon arrow, you know, it was <laughs> eight miles tall and eight miles high and five miles wide or whatever it was. I just know that unexplained fires are a matter for the courts. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, but that's that same thing. Like you just SUVs are popular because they're tall. Tall gives a feeling of power. Tall gives a feeling of safety, even though one might argue that it's less safe being tall because it's more prone to rolling over, but that's okay. Well, and it, it just gives that rugged image. And you're right. It's it's more, it might be a bit of feeding the ego kind of thing for some people. That's, that's not everybody. I'm not saying that everybody that drives an SUV is trying to feed their ego. I myself have owned vintage SUVs, so I'm not going to uh, shoot us all in the same same area here. But what what do you think is the next thing for these big SUVs, for these for this market of SUVs, do you think there's a cap on it or do you think it just keeps going until, I mean, a nicely restored, non-fully chassis swapped, beautiful 72 Blazer now is rapidly approaching $100,000 and maybe even over, if I look in the market, some have probably sold over 100 grand for a stock restored 72 Blazer. I was going to say, I, yeah, I remember recently seeing a, 72 blazer in a bronze color that was just a you know restored to original condition vehicle i believe it sold for ninety thousand. yeah for sure they've they've gone up there but do you think that that's sustainable do you think that yes. if you buy one at the lower end of the market now maybe you have a good place to park your money you might be able to get that money back after say five to ten years of enjoying this vehicle yes unless the world has an identity crisis do you want to know what the average sale price at auction for a 69 to 72 blazer is right now with the average uh at like just auctions in general or auctions in general 65 dollars. wow so obviously some are less because <laughs> it's an average yeah and some are way more yeah but yeah they're they have gone they've gone crazy <laughs> so and that's what this whole episode is about so I think one of the things that I wanted to talk about this episode is we're talking about Blazers, we're talking about Broncos, 
we're even talking about scouts. Do you guys have a particular favorite vintage style SUV? And I think when I say vintage SUV, I want to go pre 95 body on frame, traditional rear wheel drive when it's in two wheel drive available with a manual. What is a, a, a good, a good vehicle. And these were not American exclusive either. There's plenty of imported companies that made SUVs over the years. Is there any particular favorite that either of you have? Yes. Uh, it doesn't necessarily fit as far as the manual, but I've always had a, uh, I love the first gen Broncos, but I especially love the uh, Wagoneers. Uh, okay, I, I've got a sentimental uh, attachment to them. Um, I think, if I remember correctly, my parents had one for a short amount of time, and then uh, back in my freelance days, uh, I think I told you guys on an earlier episode, I did a uh, profile of Wagon Master down in Texas. Uh, drove one of the vehicles, learned about their business, how they refinished them, and. They have that. I mean, and I, I, I really like you know preppy clothes, that whole image and everything, and sure. those definitely fit fit the uh, the image. Um, they fit like '90s college parent. Yeah, which yeah. is that preppy look you're talking about. Yeah, the the Americana. Um, sure. And then there's, you know, I, I think what appeals to me about those, since you know the last ones were the '91s, and I think what appeals to people in the vintage SUV market. Uh, going in, uh, tying into the the rugged image and the ruggedness is the simplicity as well. You know, you you feel more. I think there's that sense of independence because they are not you know overly computerized. You know, there's that simplicity, and um, you know, to a mechanically, I think that's what attracts a lot of people to vintage SUVs too, is... Vintage cars in general. I mean, we preach that all the time. Yeah. It's simple. It's easy. We like yeah. it. A lot of people can work on them and a lot of people enjoy doing it. I mean... Sure. Yeah. Like you, you're def you definitely fall into that category. You know, you like turning your own wrenches. It's easier on the older stuff. Yeah. I, I would argue that some of the later stuff, like a, like a final edition Grand Wagoneer, isn't super simple anymore especially because they were trying to fit the emission standards of the day with old parts by piggybacking systems on top of systems. So there's miles of vacuum lines. And by that point they did have ECUs and they were fuel injected and there was a lot of other stuff going on, but the, well, the core, yeah, the core of the vehicle, speaking, yeah, yeah, the core of the vehicle is, is still pretty simple and it's definitely it, like unmeasurably more simple than a brand new Jeep. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I've, um, you know, just a quick aside, I've, I've gone full circle with it because the one I drove at wagon master was an 84. I think, uh, I think it, I think the one that I drove still had the, um, uh, carburetor, but anyway, 84 um, would have. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, this past Christmas break drove the brand new grand Wagoneer series three. And yeah, it's, you know, it's <laughs> simple like is not saying. the word. Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. There's many miles of difference between the two of them. Oh, yeah. And that's what they're actually advertising that new Grand Wagoneer is, is a full like luxury vehicle with every possible luxury option they could have stuffed in it, which I think a loaded one is well over a hundred grand. Are they not? Yeah. So the one I drove was at the time and keep in mind, December, 2021, I think the as tested price was just short of 107. Okay. And the base price was like 103, 104. Since then, the base and the as tested prices have gone up. That's crazy. Just in a few months, yeah. Now, do you do either of you think that that's part of the problem too, or maybe not problem, but part of the reason that we're seeing this big bump in SUV prices? Because you can go out and buy a brand new Grand Wagoneer now for $110,000 in five years you trade that in at your local Jeep Chrysler dealer and they'll probably give you 55 grand for it. Well, I think that's, I, I think that's true of most, most new cars anyway. 100%. But if you went out and you spent 30 grand on a restored, you know, Wagoneer now in five or 10 years, when you go to sell it, you can, you get your 30 grand back. So if you only wanted an SUV for hauling your family to vacations and trips into the woods, why not spend the money where it's going to stay rather than where it's going to depreciate? So I have an interesting counter to that. Okay. So while that may be true for the Jeep, we'll have to see. 
um, I'm going to reference the Ford Raptor. And the reason I'm referencing the Ford Raptor is because I would like to see what happens with the new Ford Broncos. Right? Neither vintage so, nor SUV, but go on. It's it's related. Okay. Okay. So let me let me explain myself here. So Ford Broncos. Um, we already know that those are also currently in the selling well over with cash on top of MSRP prices. 100%. You can't touch one for so MSRP, dumb. unfortunately. The um, car market is ridiculous right now. Right. That's another story. Prior to the crazy car market that we have been experiencing for a little while now, the Ford Raptor, when it came out, was different from anything else on sale, right? Instantly became sort of collectible, and it was a new car that had only depreciated less than 10% of its value. And so I think that goes to show that certain vehicles... Certain vehicles don't appreciate. Correct. That's a very modern thing that didn't used to be a thing. Correct. Uh, it's also a very specific vehicle thing. Like Grand Wagoneer isn't going to be one of those. If they came out with a Grand Wagoneer Hellcat, maybe it would be one of those. <laughs> but the, the standard yeah, the standard $100,000 Grand Wagoneer that's available now is not going to hold its value. It's well, just not. And we have a rare opportunity here, uh, gentlemen. So not only um, do we have some experience with Broncos, Derek, and experience with driving new Jeeps, Derek, um, we could actually <laughs> relate those two vehicles and we could talk a bit about the fact that there is a new Bronco Raptor oh, yeah. and see how the new Broncos would age and then how would you compare even driving or even the feel of those vehicles next to each other, Derek? Uh, you're saying new versus old? Well. I mean, just compared to what the new market for SUVs looks like that are kind of essentially taking advantage of what the old cars are doing currently. So the SUV market is hot, as we know. Yes. New and old. Yes. The old Bronco market, and this is probably another point of why it's where it is, is because the new market, the new Bronco came out. So it, it became yes. more interest in the old Broncos. The yeah. same thing happened in the late 90s when the new Mini Cooper was coming out. It gave a little bit of renewed interest into the classic minis, and they, the prices went up on them. Mm -hmm. Beetles did the same thing when the new Beetle came out. Everything kind of does that, and the Bronco is, is the hot one right now. Bronco also we're seeing, like you said, above MSRP, yep. much like the Raptor probably was, or maybe even the Grand Wagoneer now. Who knows? But that's also not sustainable because eventually it's going to be a mass market vehicle, mm -hmm. and once the you know shortages of whatever's short nowadays goes away and forwards back up to full production and they can fulfill all their orders then it's going to be a used car again and it's going to drop down significantly in price especially if you paid over msrp for it and you can go buy one in two or three years for straight msrp from the dealer so that's that'll be a few years i think from what i've heard there is currently a two-year minimum waiting list for a bronco um i was just looking at them today pricing one that came through mm -hmm. um for a while, they were $100,000 trucks hmm. at auction after sale, like secondary market. Hey, I got one of these early. You want one? It's a hundred grand. Is that with the hardtop or is that? Whatever. They were a hundred grand. It was just that's what people were paying for them when they first came out used. Right. So you'd buy one, you name in first, you got your order, mm -hmm. you plop down your $56,000 for your yep. new Bronco. Yep. You immediately put it on an online auction and it was $100,000. Perfect. That is now gone. That's already gone. So there are they are still trading above MSRP, yeah. But they're like not the trading. That so a two door and a four door base model, mm -hmm. uh, fifty five to sixty five. Oh, okay. But MSRP was like forty, so yeah. it's still above MSRP. Yeah. But you're probably also paying the dealer above MSRP, right? So yeah. there's not a there's not a huge profit center like there was when they first came out. So it's already happening. It's already going back to normal, which it should because. It's not a special edition vehicle. It's literally a mass market car. It should be a mass market car. It's going to be a Jeep. It's the same. In five years from now, there'll be as many Broncos in their road of those years as there are Jeeps. And nobody will even notice a Bronco anymore. It'll just be another car in traffic. I, I think it will. Do you notice a new Beetle on the road? Do you notice a Mini on the road? When they first came out, they were huge huge commercial success everybody's like oh i saw our new mini oh i saw our new beetle now nobody cares the bronco's gonna be the same way so i wasn't really paying attention to those when they came out but i feel different about the bronco i, I know what you're saying right it's kind of like the brz right the brz's are starting to pop up here and there and eventually those will be everywhere as well but they already are right yeah but it's used cars the new bronco i think supers do right i think they did it right and so okay. i think that helps in terms of how they get things out there like there's certain vehicles and i don't want to just you know 
throw shade at some other manufacturers, but let's be honest, there's certain vehicles like the Trailblazer that are forgettable, very forgettable. Sure. And uh, every other Ford SUV is not the new Bronco is also forgettable. And the Bronco Sport. It will be yeah. less it will be less forgettable than a Bronco Sport or a Ford Escape, just like a new Beetle or a Mini Cooper is still less forgettable than the equal year Passat or Jetta. Right. But I think that it won't never, it won't be a point where you turn and look at every Bronco you see, like you are now still. You're like, oh, you still go, oh, a new Bronco. I cool. Do. Yes. In two or three years, you're not going to go, oh, a new Bronco. It'll just be like another car in traffic. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the one that has the most chance of that is the Raptor because, you know, even now... It will be a special production vehicle just like the Raptor pickup. Yeah, yeah, and even the first-gen ones. You, you know, it's... Obviously, the, the impact is dulled with time, but it still does manage to stand out a little bit, you know, when you see one in traffic. At least it does to me. I think, yeah, I think, again, Ford and nailed it. That's true because it's a special vehicle. Like, the, the, the Raptor will be like a Trailblazer SS. Like the Trailblazer right. in the early 2000s, most of them that are left are absolute garbage, and you wouldn't yes. want to be seen near one of them. Correct. The SS, still cool. Yes. So the Raptor will still be cool. The regular Bronco, just be a used car. Sorry. Mass market car. It'll just be a used car. But I th- Until eventually, it becomes a vintage SUV, which is what we're supposed to be talking about, if I do remind <laughs> you. <laughs> and then it will be interesting again. In 25 years, come back to me, and I'll be like, oh, that's cool now. I yeah oh I will I will yeah. I'm actually going to buy one of these new Broncos and then come back and argue with it but I think the whole trending craziness of the new like okay to break this down on why I brought this thing up is the new Bronco does a very good job of bringing out what you think of when you think of vintage Broncos right Probably. I will agree with that yes yes it's great at it's it. a square vehicle with full frame four wheel drive right with modern top comes lights, off yeah. right all the goodies right. Including all sorts of new features that weren't even available on other vehicles prior to the Bronco. Don't take my conversation as hate. Like, I love the new Bronco. I think the two-door <laughs> new Bronco is one of the best-looking cars to come out in the past 10 years. Like, honestly, it's a great vehicle. Like, okay. So now that we've gotten that out of view, yeah. this is why I'm going to argue I don't think it's going to depreciate the same way a Camry or Corolla would. Because it's, at the end of the day, it's still an enthusiast vehicle. So whether you think it's going to be traffic or not... Bronco Raptor aside, Raptor, as it's referred to lovingly. <laughs> I have not heard that until right now. Oh, I hope I never hear it again. You, both of you, you're welcome. Welcome <laughs> to truck slang um, for Raptor. Um, it's better than Raponco. It's better than what? Raponco. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty bad. Um, but point is, I think due to the styling, the excitement with the Ooh. current vintage, you know, enthusiast SUV market, I think the new Broncos are also going to reflect that. And as you said, increase the values also. So like I think OJ val- OJ Broncos are double what they were two years ago. But that goes along with the whole Bronco market, and those are now right. the newest one of those is now twenty five years old. Ninety seven was the last. Ninety seven, ninety eight, whatever. Ninety six. Ninety six was the last yeah, year. Okay, so ninety six was that gen. So then twenty six years old is the newest one of those. So that again brings them right back into. We're talking vintage at this point. Twenty five years is it makes it an antique. By most state standards, 25 years to get an antique car plate. So that's kind of what we use as a general term for an antique car, right? Yeah, I'll give you a call when my 2020 Bronco has an antique plate on it. Oh, and, correction, and, 92 to 96. Okay. And at that point, it will be interesting again because it's an antique. And it might be on the value swing, much like a 96 Bronco is now. So never forget, 30 years is the cycle. So everything that was cool 30 years ago is cool again now. That's why nothing says 1980s like 1950s nostalgia because that's just <laughs> how it, that's how it was. It's we think about back to the future. It was all 1950s nostalgia in the 1980s. So I do agree with you for the most part, but um, and I don't want to get too off topic here. Or too late. We've already talked about You're, a modern Bronco okay, for 25 that's minutes. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to point out that I think a lot of people look for things to be collectible now, which is why every single interesting enthusiast vehicle now has a launch series, including the Bronco. Yeah, and they the get Supra. bought by somebody who has way too much money, does nothing to do with it, and puts the car in storage for 30 years. Correct. But I think that's why the 30-year trend, I think, is going to waver a little bit and might be affected slightly differently just based off the fact that things are trying to be intentionally collectible. And you know for a fact there's a ton of people that bought Broncos and are holding them in a garage somewhere with three miles. Do you know what makes things not collectible? 
people forcing them labeling them collectible yes yeah that's that's, <laughs> yes, how it that's, happens. My, that's my point like go back it, but, the, but okay so for the same argument's sake go back every generation of corvette that has a collector's edition 78 82 93 yeah. there's an all anniversary collector's edition slightly more than the others no not really what an 82 collector's edition corvette with three thousand miles on it or three some 30 miles on it because some guy bought it saying it's a collector's edition corvette this thing's gonna be this is gonna be my retirement someday it's still yeah, like okay, 18 grand yeah, yeah okay okay so let's break that down a little bit what i would i say they're worth more they're worth like a little bit more they're not worth 1.3 percent yeah that's about it correct <laughs> correct so they're not they're not worth the extra hassle because those cars are pretty finite corvettes in general the values on those are pretty specific on where those cars end sure. up again unless they've got a custom chassis and all the other stuff like we mentioned earlier but if you have a 93 40th anniversary corvette parked next to a green 93 corvette you know the the maroon special edition right. with the maroon interior sure and they both have i don't know because the corvette owner bought it that parked it forever because it's his retirement mm-hmm. he paid forty thousand dollars for it in 93 mm-hmm. it's still worth 20 grand today but the other one might be only worth 18. find the right buyer they both worth 20 grand I, I don't think there's a big bump i and that's again that's when you make something collectible, it's no longer collectible. Things that are collectible are things that were used and most people didn't hold on to, and now they're worth something. And that's why we like vintage SUVs. Right, because now they're still around. <laughs> Going back to our main topic today, vintage SUVs. You like the Wagoneers. Jeff, you've had more time to think about it. What is your favorite vintage vintage SUV? Oh, Blazers. Just, okay. just because that they that like natural off-road lifted like stance that they have, not to mention the body style and everything okay. is gorgeous. And the colors, are you kidding me? The seafoam, the orange, the Yeah, there's some great colors. Yeah, Chevy, Chevy, bring it back, please. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a scout guy. Okay. Uh, I'm an early, really? an early scout guy. The real short wheelbase, real industrial looking ones. Okay. It's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Um, and secondarily, I would say I'm big into like Series 2 Land Rovers. Mm, like okay. the square, boxy, 60s and 70s, aluminum-bodied Land Rovers. That is not what I was expecting. I was really expecting Land Cruiser out of you, actually. Oh, yeah, that would make sense. Hey, Cruisers are cool. I like, I like the Land Yeah, Cruisers, cruisers are great. We haven't even touched cruisers. on Japanese stuff yet. Yeah. No. Um, there's plenty of them out there. Yes. Starting from it, some of the earliest Japanese vehicles sold in the States were SUVs. So you could buy a Nissan Patrol here, I think, for... Before you could buy other Nissans, maybe I'll have to double check that. But well, I think you could. That's one of the great things about you know touching on the Japanese vehicles is in this market, so many of them are untapped because you know we got the twenty-five year import rule. So there's so many of them over there just waiting, to waiting be to be brought over, over here yeah. that we've never had here before. Which we're going to have to have a topic about soon in the future because a lot of states are now outlawing twenty-five year imports. Oh, so, wait, what? Yeah. That's no bueno. It's no bueno. Maine did it. Rhode Island did it. Georgia just did it. California did it a long time ago. Y'all are not receiving my vacation money now. Yeah. I will not go to those states. <laughs> Jeff is boycotting. I am yeah. boycotting those states. Um, there's, a, there's a few of them up Pennsylvania, maybe. It started with the mini trucks, little like K trucks. Yeah. But it's expanded beyond that now. Anyway, that's a whole other topic for a whole other day that I need to do more research about. But yeah, so the Japanese market vehicles have not been spared either even the american market japanese built trucks so for a long time the american market didn't recognize japanese vehicles as collectible that's obviously started to change in the past i'd say 10 to 15 years by a lot by a lot shot up exponentially but the vintage suv market has always had a little bit more activity in it in the japanese stuff in america than some of the other cars have because 70s and 80s FJs, which are the Land Cruisers, mm-hmm. have always had some sort of a value to them. Yep. When people would not have alternative to a Jeep, but people would never have even given you a dollar fifty for a seventy-five Corolla in 1995, but a seventy-five FJ40 would still command some value in 1995. So they were more accepted because they were more utilitarian, more useful, which is also a reason that vintage SUVs are popular because you can use yep. them well mm-hmm. and then it's the not 90s just the connection too because suvs were big in the 90s 100 percent, and it's not just 
the Instagramable lifestyle. Like they actually are useful. You can take one camping. You can take one up a mountain trail. You can go do cool stuff in vintage SUVs. They are very capable trucks, yeah. especially stuff like the FJ with its skinny tires and solid axles. And then you can add the uh, the PTOs and you know like the old Jeeps. You could the land the Land Cruisers and it's like the FJ Land Cruisers and the Land Rovers did have like PTOs or power takeoffs mm-hmm. to add like winches and actually even, auger yeah augers and plows and interesting stuff to them. Well, you know what else I want to bring up, which is a weird split in the vintage SUV market, is some of the later Land Cruisers, right? It seems like some of the high-end builds that we see for those aren't the same that you would see for Broncos and Blazers, right? It's almost more so like overlanding style builds, which we're not really seeing then as much for the other vehicles. So while they'll get modern amenities, bigger tires, all that stuff, they'll also get the full treatment of like special custom drawers inside and all these. Some of them will. Stuff. Some of them will. And, and a big reason for that is that the ones you're talking about, like the FJ 55 and yeah, 60 and 80 and all those, yeah. they're longer wheelbase. Right. So they have the full space inside that you can kit them out for like a camping rig, an overland rig. Right. Overland is kind of a catch word nowadays. It's not really a it's just car camping. Well, it's Instagramable is what it is. 100%. Sure it is. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it, it's, it's literally car camping, which has been a thing since, you know, probably before the first Suburban in 1935. But it's it just didn't have a name. It's yeah. It's, no, it's not more efficient. It's oh, yeah. more expensive. Well, the whole idea of overlanding is that you can literally drive off any road to go somewhere as opposed to taking your, you know, station wagon on a dirt road to a camping For sure. site. No, no, no question. It's just, it's, it's camping in a car versus driving there and then camping next to your car. Let's be honest. You can bring steak on car camping, so it's better. 100%. <laughs> right. Anyway, I, I enjoy overlanding. That's the kind of off-roading I like doing. Yeah. I like exploring, mm-hmm. going new places, going down trails, finding a random spot and setting up camp. I dig it. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's definitely a very trendy topic to call it overlanding when it's something that literally people have been doing forever and didn't have a name for it. Which, oh, we're going camping for the weekend. Where are you going? I don't know. Wherever we go. Now it's right. oh, we're going overlanding for the weekend. So <laughs> what defines overlanding? My $3,000 rooftop tent. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm overlanding. That gets used yeah, once or twice a year. Right. right. So yeah, it's, it's an investment. It's definitely an investment. And if, and if you use it, it's great. I'm sure it's wonderful. But I don't have a rooftop tent because I can't imagine getting my 14 year old dog to climb the ladder up there. So, well, we all have different life situations, but if you're going to go overlanding, a vintage Land Cruiser is definitely a stylish and Instagrammable way to do it. 100%. So you talk about there being a difference in how they're modified, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we talked earlier about Icon vehicles, and Icon does both Broncos and FJs. <laughs> so well, in a very similar style for both, there is another company that does the later model 80s FJs, so the FJ60, FJ80s, mm-hmm. but they do like LS swaps and oh, wow. modern transmission. It's called Corsetti Cruisers. You should definitely oh. look them up. They make some cool yeah. stuff. They do like the vintage style steel wheels and like, um, uh, yep, a pastel kind of green color or blue color with some vintage graphics and really fancy. They're like Icon-esque or Singer-esque, but for that body style cruiser. Were they, Super uh, cool. They might have been featured on uh, Jay Leno's Garage, I want to say. That's, I don't know. sounds familiar. Yeah, I don't I, I did not see them there. I saw I saw them in person. I met one of the guys that works for them at one of the uh, Redwood shows. Mm. So they make some cool stuff. Mm. Very, very cool stuff. But And it's not set up for camping internally like you're talking about. It's just set up just like a custom 72 Bronco uh, Blazer is with mm. like cool style points for car shows. <laughs> but also... Capable off-road if you wanted to. And on 37-inch tires. Probably, yeah. Big tires. But they look they look really cool. I'll send you some links later. And one of the cool things about uh, the vintage Land Cruisers is, you know, a lot of them that you see online, you know, they've got a diesel engine in them. A lot of the imported ones do. The American yeah. market ones didn't. But, yeah. yeah. The uh, American market ones had the Toyota F-Series in Line 6. It's a little more rugged than what came in the cars, like the Cressida, the Supra. It's a little lower revving, more torque than those had, but uh, 2F, I think is what, 2F, 3F, 4F, something like that. I I don't know enough top of my head, but I know it's a different six-cylinder than you're used to in like a Cressida or a Supra or other six-cylinder Lexuses and stuff. I have to change the topic back to what we were talking about earlier. Modern pickup trucks again? Why Scout? (laughs) Why do I prefer the Scout? Yeah. Um, let's be honest, you kind of look at them and like, while well, they look good, then you look at a Bronco or a Blazer and you go, eh, I like that better. I've always, it's no secret that I like things different. Yeah. And that's probably why. Um, it's just to be different. I, I 
They're cool. Don't get yeah, me wrong. I, I just to be different. The house that I used to own back in Massachusetts before I moved all the way out here, I had a neighbor who had a green Scout Two, mm-hmm. and it was like a. I don't call it an army green, but it was that kind of similar to a Kelly green, army green, kind of like just green. Right. <laughs> and it was faded, so it wasn't shiny anymore, but it still had plenty of color left. Mm-hmm. And it just sat and sat and sat, and I wanted to buy it. And I just, I remember walking by it, and it looked really cool and looked really neat. And I just said, yep, I want to buy it. And just never got around to doing it, and then it disappeared. And he said that he just gave it away to somebody and I never asked and probably should have. So, Well, you know what, Brad? If you're interested in buying a vehicle, you know where you can go where they have plenty of vehicles online available to be purchased either through a classified online marketplace well jeff corporate shill where can we go (laughs) (laughs) yes classiccars.com which has thirty-five thousand cars on it is a classified marketplace which is our sister site is available and then of course we have auto hunter auctions which also has a select of various vehicles that are available online at any moment for you to ponder through and take uh take a look if you want to purchase anything which actually have another plug by the way I will also say that we talk about different cars here every week. We do. And if I was in the market to buy a car every week, I would A, not be able to because I can't afford it. Or B, <laughs> if I could afford it, would go broke fast. Or C, be homeless because I brought a car home every week. A certain somebody probably wouldn't be happy with me. Well, Brad, at the end of the day, you can live in a car, but you can't sleep it, or you can't drive a house. I murdered that a little bit, but it's all right. Um, Still holds true. Yes. I thought we were just talking about overlanding. <laughs> yeah, you could sleep in a car, but you can't drive a house. Oh, right. Yeah, I got that backwards in my head. You're right. Yeah, we're good. That's all what right. I'm saying. So just so blow, I should buy a scout in a red and a rooftop yes. tent. Perfect. There's your house. Leave the dog back home because they can live back home because yep. I can't live there anymore. And they can't I don't get have the to anyways. worry about getting them in the tent anyway. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're good. Uh, Plugs for the end. Yes, the other, the thing we wanted to plug. So on the spirit done of yet, but that's okay. vintage SUVs and the beautiful bronze seventy two Blazer I mentioned earlier, we have revamped our YouTube and are now producing content regularly. And on there is a beautiful seventy two bronze Blazer that we go over in great detail with excellent camera work. Um, so if you want, I saw that video. There's an ugly guy in front of it the whole time. Yeah, oh, that, yeah. Man, yeah. that so guy. He talks the whole time. Um, anyways, <laughs> sounds so familiar. We have an awesome YouTube video featuring that vehicle with all sorts of excellent camera work that is now on our YouTube channel. So go ahead and go to YouTube, type in Auto Hunter, and check out that awesome video, which I believe went live today as of filming this podcast, which is a Wednesday. I will check it out. And I hope our listeners do too. Yeah, it's a great video. It's camera guy was on point. So we're talking about the values of SUVs. Yep. Do any of you have any hints or tips for maybe some sleeper models that are not quite there yet, but are still pretty capable? Something that's got that classy boxy look, something that looks rugged, something that's, as we said earlier, something Instagrammable, something that looks cool off-road. Everything that comes to my mind is in the 90s that's like relatively like... We can go 90s. Cheap and affordable. 100%. We're okay to go 90s. So if you want to start getting into that, a lot of the like Suzuki Jimmys and even OJ Broncos are semi-affordable. If you if you don't buy it from mainstream places like dealerships and things like that, you can still find an okay price. You can find a Project Bronco fairly inexpensively. Uh, Bronco 2s can be built sure. out um, if you want to go that route. Um, let's see. I, you know, even back to the stuff that we talked about that is collectible, there are certain Land Cruisers that are still, you know, sub 20 that you can buy, sure. um, which are gorgeous vehicles that will definitely be collectible. will keep their value, if not go up, I would say. I think most will go up mm-hmm. because I think the SUV market is, while we're talking about it going crazy and through the roof, I think it's still fairly early on. Right. And I don't think that these two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar custom builds are gonna go up much because that's just where they are. Right. But I think some of the base model stuff, some of the projects, some of the, you know, sub twenty K stuff will continue to go up. Mm-hmm. Um you know me, I'm always a huge proponent of anything done by Mitsubishi. Well yep. anything automotive done by Mitsubishi. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> I'm not here promoting Mitsubishi televisions. Um <laughs> the Montero is my near good. my near and dear. Yeah, uh, the first generation Montero came out in America in '83, I want to say, but they were also sold as a Dodge Raider, which is the same exact vehicle, but was available in a two door. 
four by four. And to most people who don't know what they're looking at, they think it's a Land Rover. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember you showed me one of those. Yeah. So they're very cheap. You can buy a very nice running example for less than 10 grand. They're modern enough that they can be used pretty efficiently and easily. They come in two options, a V6 and a four-cylinder. I personally have owned the four-cylinders. I don't have an issue with them. They're not as reliable for a normal person that doesn't want to tinker with them all the time because they're also carbureted as the V6. The V6 is the same three-liter V6 that they used in Montero's up through the 90s. It became a 3.5 liter into the 2000s. The 3000 GTs, the Diamantes, any Mitsubishi with a V6, the same Mitsubishi V6 also came in caravans and it came in like Dodge Stratuses and Chrysler Ciruses and all these cars that came with the same V6. So parts availability is super easy. They're modern enough that they're fuel injected, but they're early enough fuel injection that they're fuel injected with like standard fuel injection parts that were shared across manufacturers. So it's like Bosch style fuel injectors and a universal external Bosch style fuel pump. It's basically Lamborghini Countach. Basically, yes. Yeah, <laughs> um, everything that you need to buy for those is generally available you know, online or even at your local parts store. In fact, I did a seven day quote unquote overlanding trip in a 1990 Montero, which is the square body style. And we were seven days off road, only turning back onto road for fuel and everything went great until we were driving home after the seven day camping trip and the fuel pump let go. And we were able to, in the middle of nowhere, Maine on a Sunday, get a fuel pump for this vehicle, switch it in the side of the road and drive home. So wow. the the moral of the story is off-road good, road bad, because that's where your fuel pump went out. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Okay. I guess that's so. That's what I thought. That's the I moral thought. of the story is I think that that, this is a couple years ago now, I think that we paid $800 for the truck. <laughs> <laughs> and we had some time and effort into it, happen. obviously. It doesn't happen very often. Uh, we had some time and effort into it, obviously, before taking it off-road for seven days Mm -hmm. but we did a seven day trip in that truck and another um kind of what i like to call is the last vintage suv they came out in 97 so the earliest models are almost antiques but it's one of the last you could buy with a full frame standard suv style and it's the nissan xterra so the Nissan Xterra is like a very 80s vehicle that cool. was available in the 2000s. And yeah. while it goes off the topic of our vintage SUV conversation, they're getting there. And early ones are very cheap. And if they're maintained, they're pretty good as well. So yeah, if like you're looking those. for a super budget way to have a good off-road vehicle, I would definitely look at an Xterra that has good service history or at least one that you're willing to put some time and effort into. And you can buy one for sub $5,000. And they made the Pro 4X versions of those. Later on in the run, not early on. I don't think there was a Pro 4X, but there's a huge aftermarket for them too. So also for Monteros, there's a kind of a burgeoning aftermarket as well. There's a company right here in town called Adventure Driven Design that does specifically Montero stuff for all three generations of Monteros. So for the sake of uh, covering all of our, you know, basic, uh, three simple ingredients of American manufacturers. We don't really talk about any Mopar vehicles, I don't think. I would like to see more custom-built Ram chargers sure. to compete in the SUV sure. market. The prettiest cool. the prettiest of all the 70s SUVs of the, the Bronco um, Ram Charger Blazer Trio right. is the early Trail Duster, which is the Plymouth version right. of the Ram Charger mm-hmm. with its aluminum grill. That's a really good-looking truck. And the dashboard on those is essentially lifted right out of a 70 Barracuda. It's almost the exact same really? design. Super cool-looking. Yep. Those uh, are like the Mercury Capri of uh, vintage SUVs. Like, cause it's, they're a little different, but they're there, and they're still the same same ingredients. Yeah, because it's it's very much like the, the Ram Charger, but it's a little different. Yeah, very little mm-hmm. different. But they had some cool, they had some cool packages that the Trail Duster had. And let's the, the name... Trail Duster, I mean, I mean, a Ram yeah, Charger, Duster, either one of them. Ram Charger. I yeah. mean, Blazer's good too. Um, yeah, but uh, 
Yeah, Bronco implies that it rides rough, so I, I don't like that one as much. I, so I just want to hold on to this thing for eight seconds, and you have a good day. <laughs> Ram Charger sounds like the equivalent of what modern day Mopar is, right? The whole let's do burnouts all the time and destroy everything. Ram sure. Charger is exactly what I would expect. It's just a combination of two of their car names, Ram and Charger. So that's a good point. Yeah, it's pretty simple, straightforward. I don't know where the name came from, Mopar but I know I know that the Dodge, a couple of Dodge drag racing cars in the '60s were the Ram Chargers. And there were red and white drag cars. And really? Ram charger down the side. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know if it's tied into where Ram they got the name from. Intake? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, also Pontiac used that too, though. Did that wasn't specifically. Well, when I think Mopar. of Ram, I think of the vacuum activated hood scoop. Yeah. No, it's not a Mopar thing exclusively. Anyway. Well. My alternative picks are late, early model Mitsubishi Monteros and Dodge Raiders. Yep. And late model, well, early model, but late model Nissan Xterras. I think you're going to get you that that vintage SUV feel without being a vintage SUV. I think that the early square Monteros, people look at them and it has that like vintage look to it. The mm-hmm. Xterra maybe loses a little bit of that because it's still, I mean, they made them until 2016 without changing them. So there's still plenty of them on the road. Right. Well, and I think, you know, there's other vehicles that I think also draw attention to that field, like the Nissan Patrol we've seen is becoming internet yep. famous quickly for those dune, run, dune runs and the amount of sure. power you could build. And you can engine. import one of those from Japan. Or like I right. said, there were some brand new ones sold here in the 60s. I have to look into hmm. what the actual I mean, import numbers the were. the interest is drawn to the 90s one these days. That's what you're talking about is right. the 90s one. Yeah, because they swap RB26s with big turbos yes. in them and make a thousand and horsepower and go climb dunes. Horsepower. Yeah, yeah and go climb dunes. Which is cool, but it's not what we're talking about here. Well, my, my point is... is I think Anything's cool that, with 2,000 horsepower sector, and a big turbo. That <laughs> sector that you're mentioning as, you know, kind of up and coming with a lot of... There is so much stuff. It. Like, I think that Derek mentioned it. There is so much stuff that's importable mm-hmm. from the Japanese market or Australia or Europe that wasn't here. Including new jimmies that aren't available to us. Sure. Well, 25 years we can get those. Yeah. Or you can buy a plot of land in Mexico and have an address down there right. and buy one, right? Yeah, perfect. Um. I think one of the big things with those is that they were so pervasive all over the world. Like, you can't watch a newsreel from anywhere in the country without seeing an old Toyota SUV or pickup in the background, right? right. So, yeah. for better yeah. or for worse. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. I was just thinking but, that. And the, the, and the stuff like the Land Rovers, the 60s Land Rovers, that basic body style was made until the yes. late 90s it in most of the world. Made by some other companies. And there were, right? yeah, and there were so many of them. I mean, you can go to South America and you can buy a turbo diesel very square two-door Land Rover Series 3, I think probably they called them. There's no name for them there, which is escaping me right now, Bend or something. But they were diesels, and they're just very industrial, and they're not worth much money. So you can right. get one imported for 10 grand or so probably if you go to the right countries. Yep. Spain has a bunch of them over there. Europe in general has got a bunch of them. England's got a bunch because, again, they're English. So Good, good for them. <laughs> Another neat sleeper one is actually um, going back to Mitsubishi because this is where my knowledge lies. Mitsubishi licensed technology, licensed design from Willis to make Jeeps up until the early 90s. So they made flat fender CJ Jeeps in Japan with 80s turbo diesel running gear until like 1992. Oh, that's, pretty, so, that's pretty cool. And you can buy those for like 15 grand or under. Hmm. So they made a hard, a completely enclosed hardtop version that looks kind of like a Willis like van. We didn't even talk about Willis in general. We talked a little no, bit about Jeeps, really. but we kind of well, went. Well, I think everybody knows. It's so mainstream yeah, that we just kind of yeah, yeah uh, kind of skipped over it. Thirty-five uh, inch tires. Well, we're talking about vintage stuff, and CJ sevens right. and down are pretty mean, rad. I don't think anybody does me nice on those. I think it's just the new stuff. Does what me nice? Mean oh eyes? yeah! Oh, angry, oh literally oh, any like modern angry Jeep. grills. Go go yeah. to your local parking lot. Look yeah. at any no. modern Jeep. It will have mean eyes on it. I I will promise you. Yep. I, I want to see those on a first gen Wrangler, a wide. Yes, gen. no. Let's do it. It's, it's, been, it's been done. You don't want to see it as bad. <laughs> Jeep Jeep Wranglers are cool through YJs. After that, I don't care well, less. The vintage stickers are what I think will make older Jeeps cool. Sure. Right? All, All the different, different editions. They yes. have the Golden Eagle yes. and. Mm-hmm. But we're talking other Jeeps too. Like they had the Ford Control four wheel drives, and they had the pickup trucks, and they had um, like the Willis wagons that had four wheel drive. There's so many cool things. Right. The conversation can go on forever, but basically it's. The market is on the upswing. Mm-hmm. If you buy one now, I don't think you're going to lose your shirt. I think you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Hold on to it for a few years. You might not make a ton of money, but I don't think you're going to lose any money either. Right. Uh, if you want to buy one, come search Auto Hunter or go to one of our parent yep. company's auctions at Barrett-Jackson. Mm-hmm. 
and take a look at uh, what's going on there. And I don't think you're going to get hurt. I think that's a good way to spend your money. Mm-hmm. They're usable. You can have fun with them. You can post pictures on Instagram. You can go <laughs> overlanding. You can do all kinds of cool stuff in an SUV. Take the family fishing. See over the Prius in front of you. Yeah. Block the vision of the guy behind you in a cool old sports car. <laughs> Perfect. Ugh. I don't like Martin SUVs <laughs> for that specific reason. Anyway, rounding up today's episode, uh, Jeff, where can they find your content outside of here? Uh, yeah, so I'm known as Jalopy Jeff. Uh, I mostly post car videos on TikTok and YouTube, and I'm also on Instagram, so you can check out that stuff there. Derek, where can they find you? You can find me uh, primarily on YouTube, but also uh, Instagram and Facebook at There Will Be Cars. Uh, speaking of the Wagoneer, uh, specifically the new Grand Wagoneer, the 2022 model, that is my newest video review up on There Will Be Cars on YouTube. And coming up uh, within the next few weeks, my review of the 2022 Cadillac CT4V Blackwing. A real mouthful, but a great car. That's a cool car. Yes, those are very cool. (laughs) Okay, and you can find me uh, on Instagram at TSISS350. That's about it for me. Uh, Also, you can find me on my other podcast, the Auto Off Topic podcast, also the same name on Instagram. Um, as far as Auto Hunter, autohunter.com, classiccars.com. We are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. We might even be We're on. Now posting regular YouTube content. Regular YouTube content, exactly. So please visit us there. Please like and subscribe to this podcast. Uh, please also leave us a review on your iTunes or your Google Podcast or wherever it is you listen to podcasts because that does help. And on that note, We will see you next week on Drive the Bitcoin.